0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we are very fortunate to be joined by two guests, both from UserZoom. We've got Alfonso de la Nuez and Dana Bishop, the co-founder and chief visionary officer, as well as the VP of Strategic Research Partners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank uh, you for we're having very- us. We're really excited to be talking about a big topic, which is UX research, which we always talk about, (laughs) and the rise of product design tools like Figma with the big $20 billion acquisition, big news. What does it all mean? How did we get here? So excited to have some uh, big experts here to talk about these things. So thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Yeah. Great to be here. Got JH here too.
2: Yeah. I uh, use Figma quite a bit, but I've never talked about it in this sort of lens. So I think it'll be a fun conversation.
0: Fantastic. And we were just guests on your show not too long ago. So definitely check the back and forth out, however, you found us. <laughs> so that'll be a fun double listen for folks if you want to bench. So, yeah, let's jump in. So, what do tools like Figma allow designers and researchers to do that was difficult before? You know, with a, a big ticket acquisition like this, clearly something new and meaningful has happened in the market. And so, what is that new thing? What have you seen happen here?
1: Lena, please jump in.
0: Sure. So I think we all know that Figma has kind of become
3: the darling of the design world in a short amount of time. A couple things that, that really stand out to me, first of all, it's really easy to learn, right? So even people with no experience can kind of quickly get up and running in Figma. It's got a drag and drop interface and creating prototypes and, and products is easy, but it also is counterbalanced with also a lot of features and tools. So that's one thing, very easy to, to learn. And then once you're in there, it's pretty easy to use. It's browser-based, which is a big differentiator. And that has become even more important in the last few years, right? So browser-based makes it very accessible and simple, no installations, no patching, no updates, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And so collaboration, which is the piece that I think is the most meaningful in the last couple of years, it was really designed with collaboration in mind. So as we have all sort of Scattered, right? You know, I think one of the reasons their, their usage really skyrocketed over these past few years is the remote working environment and all the challenges to go with it, especially for creative teams, right? You think about design teams, they rely on the ability to brainstorm, collaborate, go back and forth, and knock it around, right? All of a sudden, we're scattered to the wind. Everybody's not in the same location. You can collaborate in real time, build the prototypes. And I think those are really important things in my mind of what I've seen and what I've heard from the folks that we work with.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with everything Dana said. I was mega excited to, <laughs> to hear the news um, for several reasons. So I, I look at it a little bit different from a different lens. One is that I think Figma really focuses on UX design versus visual design. And I think that if they had started the company a decade earlier, maybe it wouldn't have been as popular. But design has been typically related or or associated with visual and creative and, you know, Photoshop. But in the last decade, I think the fact that uh, UX has become much more important, how things actually work for users versus how they look, I think that that focus has made them so successful. And that's also why I celebrate it is because it is just another proof that UX design is so important versus, again, just visual design. We still hear so much <laughs> from the likes of you know executives or you know people that are starting to really, I guess, get it. I still hear quite a bit that design is about visual and how things look, and mm-hmm. I keep saying design is about problem solving and UX design. So I think that that was that was something that really called my attention is that Adobe would be so interested in adding that part of of design into their creative suite. The second one is. And this is before I get to the how it's related to research. But the second one is the price. This is the single biggest acquisition of a private company ever. Okay, Okay. Um, and so wow. I mean, the multiple is so big that doesn't even make sense to to look at it right from a multiple perspective. I think the fact that it's so big once again makes just creates a lot of attention in the space, in the market, and it's a phenomenal inspiration and. I guess, reference for all of us in the space. This UX design thing matters, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and it matters not just to users, but it matters to those up there. Again, you know, the Adobe management team, of course, understands how important design is and they go and pay such a big price. And I guess the third thing I would say about the deal that I really liked is, is that yes, UX designers and of course, many, if not most of our users, UX researchers are in Figma. You know, at some point, uh, the collaboration part that uh, Dana talked about is absolutely key. You know, they're democratizing design is what they're doing, really, or what they've done and what they will keep doing. And what we're seeing is that democratization of design also kind of relates to democratization of insights and understanding the users, you know, that you're solving a problem for. And so therefore, that collaboration aspect that is not just designers that actually spend time in Figma, but also... Product people, like even executives, right, uh, and of course developers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is also how we see ourselves: the insights and the research aspect of of UX, which is that you can't just expect UX research to be in the hands of researchers, but it's going to be, and insights are going to be in the hands of of many others as well. So, those three really kind of what what called my attention about this about this deal, and yeah, very excited about it.
2: Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how you think about, so, you know, browser-based, very collaborative as a platform, focused on product design, all these rich features like prototyping built right in. Do you think that has changed how people are like using prototypes in their research or has it just made it like easier and faster, right? Because you could do these things before with Sketch and Envision, or even just paper prototypes or, you know, go back to Adobe Fireworks way back in the day, right? Like you could do things. Is it just that it's gotten easier and so that's been the unlock for research in, in product design or is it, you're doing new types of things because it because it has these capabilities.
3: From my perspective, kind of going off of what Alfonso said earlier about democratization, one of the things that we're seeing, we have historically worked more in the past with researchers, right? UX researchers were sort of primary users for a number of years, started to shift, and it's really shifted. And I think a couple of things are driving that. One is hiring of ux designers has really accelerated and outpaced hiring of uxrs in the last couple of years right and so you've Mm -hmm. got more designers and everything and then a tool like figma is there to help them to really quickly and efficiently build prototypes and allowing a little bit more time in the sprints to then also you look to that that growing team of designers and say, okay, now we want you to run your own research. We want you to go ahead and, and test prototypes. We're working with tons of folks on research and design ops initiatives. Um, We actually have a documentation that we have developed for mostly UX designers called Best Practices for Testing with Figma Prototypes. And Mm we are are sort of teaching that and going with that wave because it's happening. And so I think it's two things, less time, and then also the necessity, right, to plug designers into
1: research. The technical aspect of being browser-based is what's going to because to your point JH envision was doing that already i could go back to the 1990s if i remember correctly <laughs> i mean you know there was already ways to put it up in the in the cloud mm-hmm. I, I just believe in the in the aspect of of collaboration and the fact that a lot of people are in there it's just much easier to you know one of the things that we always talk about in research is that research sometimes i think most people if not everyone is interested in understanding you know whether a, a website or an app works for users and what kind of feedback Uh, they provide. The question in research, in my experience in the last 20 years, has been much more about operations, about how to make it happen, and also how insights flow around, right? So it's, by the way, something we focus on at UserZoom with the uh, EnjoyHQ acquisition. If you build a research study and you launch it, you collect data, and you create a PowerPoint, which takes you, I don't know, a week, and then you present it, it takes you another day, it takes you this, and then it goes into a some sort of drawer or folder, it's not the same as if it flows, you know, and it's kind of embedded within the, the stack, whether it's, you know, Atlassian or other uh, project management uh, tools out there. So I think that what's happening with Figma is they're, they're, they're making it so much more collaborative that everyone is, you know, working there. They actually call it a design system, not a tool, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that research is probably from a technical aspect, probably not changing much I mean, there, there's probably some easy ways to just launch it from the web, from the browser, and things like that. But I don't think that's going to create a lot more demand. It's just a matter of exposure and exposing, you know, those prototypes, wireframes, mockups, you know, ideas that are in Figma to the end users. And then those stories should flow so that it can it can be more collaborative. You can you can analyze the results together and actually come to a conclusion. Especially if you're remote in this remote world, you know, somebody's going to make a decision out in Australia for what was tested in the U.S. I don't know, you know, just making it up. That's yeah. what I think is, is has made the big difference.
0: Dana, you mentioned you have a, a whole guide of best practices. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to hear, hear any of them that you could share, a couple off the top. What it-
3: you know, some of
0: it is just...
3: Really like tips and tricks for how to be successful mm-hmm. and, and there's a few things about hiding the UI and you know, there's just kind mm-hmm. of some some right. sort of back end stuff. And again, we're kind of aiming it towards designers, to be honest, because we are seeing more designers running the research and mm-hmm. taking their mm-hmm. prototype and then taking it to the next step. And so maybe they're not seasoned on sort of how to do that and how to sort of get it to be external facing. So you think about collaborating with your internal team and then you think about end users looking at your prototype. There's a right. couple little tricks and things you need to kind of do and how to hide it. And there's uh, how to hide that interface, how to make publicly shareable links, how to, you know, there's, there are things like that. And, you know, that just kind of got incorporated into our our conversation with our customers because again, it's kind of skyrocketing usage mm-hmm. of, of figma um
2: have you seen like anti-patterns emerge there one thing that i Mm -hmm. i always wonder is because figma makes it so easy to work at like a high fidelity and make a really rich prototype you know you have all your components in there you can link up all the frames make all these interactions i know i've personally years ago and i first got it, you know introduced to it and was excited made like a really overworked prototype right that had a million different interactions and all these frames and probably could have learned the thing i needed to learn in like a third of the amount of work in terms of wiring it up is there is there some of that that you see or like, how do people make sure that they don't like just get so obsessed with the capabilities that they're just playing with them and losing sight of like what they need to learn and, and that side of things?
3: That's interesting. I can see where that would happen, where you would <laughs> fall into that because with other prototyping tools and in the past, you know, the debate is always, hey, should we just make a happy path only, you know, prototype and right, right. keep it simple and, you know, and I think to some respect, we have seen sort of people get overexcited about what they can do quickly And so maybe those constraints that in the past weren't a bad thing (laughs) were in there, but, but I think kind of going back to some of the anti-patterns and this is maybe less about Figma and more about prototype testing is Mm -hmm. just resolving issues that are uncovered when you're prototype testing before kind of keeping that sustainable like doable pace right and sort of addressing those issues that are resol- and resolving them before moving on right instead of letting it pile up we've seen that sort of happen where people get overambitious and they're like hey let's shorten our sprint cycles and let's you know do this so that's one one outcome that i've seen a little bit
1: I don't know if it's related to the question, uh, guys, but I, if I may, I, I want to tell you a, a story, an anecdote. Let's hear so it. <laughs> I actually started this uh, my, my career in UX with wireframing and prototyping. And back in the day, I think it was Visio. There was a tool called mm-hmm. Visio that I think yeah. either Microsoft owned or something. I started in this career because designers and I got to say customers wanted to go directly into the creative, right? Into the, into the design. And so we spent, uh, I was working back then for uh, one of the pioneering kind of design and web design and consultancies, uh, it was called Icon Media Lab, a Swedish firm that started in 1996, I think it was, and ended up being part of Publicis, right? So just one of those, I think, Dana, you, you may remember that one, right? Because mm-hmm. I know, didn't you work for another one, Proxycom or one of those guys, right? So anyway... Yeah. So I remember I was a project manager and I was in charge of delivering on time efficiently and on budget and in, with quality, right? Mm-hmm. The end users back in the 90s was not a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's, that's why I ended up uh, going to research. But the point I'm trying to make is that everything was about visual design. And I remember mm-hmm. that I actually, that no one, no, there was no UX designers back then. They were information architects. We were, mm-hmm. It's kind of how it was called. But basically, there was no UX design. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing is uh, I started using prototyping and the method of prototyping and wireframing because the problem was that you'd go to the customer, you'd present this creatives mock-ups, which they always ask for three, at least. Mm-hmm. That would take a long time. And then the customer would say, I want this from this and this from that and <laughs> this from that, right? Cherry picking like that. And then the problem also was that The creative was not thinking about information architecture, menu, design, labeling, copywriting. It was all about just putting it out there. So for me, I mean, fast forward to today, of course, Figma is is, is what it is and has become this amazing company. But I mean, the value of prototyping and wireframing is so huge for UX and for good information architecture and navigation and structures and things like that that's why i really like card sorting and tree testing and these these mm-hmm. methodologies and i guess i just wanted to share that that anecdote that you know it wasn't popular to wireframe before and i'm glad that uh, it is now for sure yeah
0: so there's more ux designers in the world more of them are using figma you know is there more research happening as a result is there more prototyping is that resulting in better outcomes for research for better products
3: We've seen an uptick in the amount of research that's being done for sure. And specifically methodologies that are about getting quick, doing quick iterative design testing, right? We're not seeing a situation where designs are rolling out without, without ever being tested, which is a really good thing.
0: <laughs> right. right.
3: Not only is it saving money, of uh, making mistakes and rolling it out into production um, and then having to pay a lot more mm-hmm. to, to fix them, but you know, it's we're really bringing the the end user, the the users into the process, into the design mm-hmm. process, and I see less fear around that. So I've been doing usability and UX testing for almost 30 years. So, and I've been doing it so long that we used to do paper testing <laughs> in the lab, right? So it's yeah, yeah. like, and card sorting with actual physical cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's how long. Again, back then we didn't have the ability to test prototypes, right? Not interactive ones or the ones that we were, were not very user-friendly, Right, so they were very internal. Like we all got what was going to happen, and we could all mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of envision it. But it wasn't an experience that a user could really wrap their head around and go, "Oh, I like that," or "Oh, that makes sense," you know. Or and so, you know, it has definitely enabled us to put more things in front of the customers, the end users, and get quick feedback. And I see a lot less fear around that, and a lot less yeah. hesitation. So I think that's been a great thing.
1: Right. But I'd say that's what we see from our lens, user Zoom, because yeah. everyone that buys user Zoom sure. and uses user Zoom is running testing. And so we right. we see the mm-hmm. numbers of studies and number of completes just go like this for the last four mm-hmm. years. I challenge, though, that, that everyone is doing testing. I think in general, there's still a long, long way to go to get uh, as many people that are doing design to do research and testing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, again, I like to differentiate research being a little broader mm-hmm. you know, than, than mm-hmm. testing. Testing being, I guess, a subcategory of of the broad UX research category. But I just want to point out that, you know, when we say, for instance, that more designers are using UserZoom, UX designers have different skills and different capabilities and and different even training, I would say, even though there's not like a formal training, I guess, out there in universities, you know, there's not like a master, I guess there's masters. But what I'm trying to say here is that UX designers are designers, yes, but they're not necessarily creative designers, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Let me take that back. They can be very creative. In fact, there's a lot of creativity in UX design. I'm saying the visual designers, the Mm -hmm. graphic Mm -hmm. designers, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to differentiate. And I always tell the story about how I attended Adobe Max conference in Los Angeles about three years ago, I think it was, before the pandemic. And I purposely wanted to kind of feel and experience a creative conference. I mean, we were talking... 10,000 people. It was just packed downtown Mm -hmm. LA. And I remember talking to a lot of people and sitting in in, in those round tables during lunch and breakfast and stuff. And most of them were graphic designers. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I asked the question, hey, you guys run research when you're doing your Mm -hmm. design? Oh, no, 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 no. We leave that to others. That was a very typical response. So I think the fact that we have UX designers, to me, they may not be researchers, but UX designers are a lot more curious i feel because of what how they look how they approach their work they're a lot more curious and they kind of need to have research in place to understand who they're designing for and you could argue the same for the graphic designers but the ux designers it's like an absolute must mm-hmm. so i can see a lot more research and testing being done by ux because of the ux designers explosion not not just researchers which by the way is also a growing industry growing profile but the ux designer is sort of a researcher as well. It's kind of how I see it.
0: Absolutely. We call them people who do research, you know, not full-time researchers, but they do research as part of their jobs. Exactly. Exactly. And And they are people. And and they are people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, UXers are people too. And, And in our organization, you know, product design, UX design, we could get into the semantics of what is what, but they're doing visual design too, right? They're not passing that then off to another person to slap some colors on it. And so that research that they're doing or are part of is becoming, you know, part of that final visual product. And we did do research on our brand design as well. I'll just shout out Holly, which I know doesn't happen all the time, but I think your point that research can and should be incorporated into all manner of designs, right? Not just, not and, just and UX design.
1: hundred percent. I, I, that brings me to another point that was very popular back in the day, maybe not as much today. The difference between the, the designers some companies, and I've read this quite a bit, and I've, I've heard a lot of people complain about this, try to have the same person do the research, the UX mm-hmm. design, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. visual or graphic mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. And supposedly you have to have all of that. A lot of researchers obviously complain complain about the lack of craft, the la- lack of, sure. of rigor, because if you're not trained... I mean, first of all, you you could have a a dedicated career to each of these three, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. You could be a researcher full-time. You could be a UX designer full-time. You could be a graphic designer full-time. And by the way, I can say this because my wife, for instance, is a graphic designer, visual designer, but she is not good. I can tell you that right now with the UX aspect. No, because she never really liked it. It was just Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to focus on colors and branding and images and photos and pictures. And of course... She's one of those that would tell you, no, 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 I don't do design, I don't do research. So mm-hmm. I think that the industry has has been maturing, and therefore we're seeing more, much more specialization. Mm-hmm. But and, and I'm not sure how we are today uh, compared to how it was a few years ago. But I know that it was uh, it was like that, right? Often, I think, yeah, I, yeah.
3: I think the other role that's jumping into research that I've seen is some content writers. Um, mm-hmm. So the content mm-hmm. teams are, are that other sort of piece, right, that are sitting around the table when designing a new experience or, or redesigning an experience. And I've had more, more folks come to me for advice and for, you know, um, feedback on their studies that are content
0: books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're and, calling them content designers now. Right?
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fascinating. That is brand new in my universe, right? <laughs> of It's of, um, really just the last couple of years. And so that's really interesting. So again, kind of democratizing beyond just designers and everyone's getting in a little bit more. Um, the other thing I can say before joining UserZoom for about the 15 years or so prior to that, I was mostly focused on benchmarking and measuring mm. the UX. And so that was primarily live sites. So measuring your experience over time or against competitors. And that was, I mean, prototype testing wasn't part of that at all, right? We're measuring the live experience. And like I said, against your competitors to see, you know, who's best in class, what are the best practices or how, how changes that you're making over time are impacting, Right. Mm -hmm. And we still do Mm -hmm. a lot of that, but that was basically, that was years and years and years and years of focus without any prototypes. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) So that was. Mm -hmm. Brings me to the concept of specialization in research, Mm -hmm. right? So qualitative versus quantitative or formative versus uh, summative, right? So Mm -hmm. benchmarking is not something that you usually do or use during the design You know, prototype testing. You probably wouldn't do that much. You probably want to do that more when you're live, and you want to compete, or you want to compare against competition, or yourself over time, right? Benchmarking, which we do quite a bit uh, at UserZoom, by the way. So, so yeah, the specialization aspect of this industry is Mm -hmm. it's something I find fascinating.
2: With more UX designers, you know, and access to these prototypes and, and doing more prototype testing, usability testing, all that stuff. Do you have a read on whether that is like additive? Like it's it's just new research that's happening in addition to all these other methodologies and stuff? Or in some organizations, is that actually like replacing other methodologies that would still be adding a lot of value, but just because the prototyping thing has become so easy and it's sort of in the designer wheelhouse, that's kind of crowding other stuff out. Do you have any um, sense of what's happening there?
3: Well, I'll chime in and working directly with some of the designers and the researchers on teams that I work with, the shift that I've really seen is, like I said, as the, the UX designer hiring has sort of outpaced researchers, we're seeing that the, there was a small number of maybe UX researchers on a team and there are a large number of designers and the researchers are becoming the bottleneck. For being able to execute research, right on everything, and so that is—is is it more or is it different folks running the research? Mm-hmm. It depends who you're talking to and and which who we're talking about. But we're just seeing so much. We are seeing more research being done. So I will say that we are definitely mm-hmm. seeing more during the design phase for sure, and we're seeing different folks getting involved. And so I think all three of those things would. I guess the answer would be more research, <laughs> with some yeah, yeah. ends like end. Different folks are going be yeah, involved what... to ha- make that happen. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, or maybe maybe to phrase it a different way is: Are some of these UX designers relying on like prototype and usability tests because it's it's right there for them when they should actually be doing some like broader generative discovery stuff? And and like, do we need to get that balance back, or do we actually think that this is you know been more of just like a net positive? Like, a...
1: oh, I hear where you're going, and it's actually. <laughs> Something that I can say without uh, giving away much, but we are seeing things like that ourselves, uh, where there is such demand for more usability testing. I call it kind of tactical testing mm-hmm. versus strategic research. And so, it, yeah, there, it, there's so much demand for it, JH, that I think probably there, there needs to be a way to find an equilibrium and run that research because it's clear that the need is there. There's a ton of prototypes you know, being built and you want to validate and all that stuff. But if you stop doing more strategic research or even like benchmarking to really, you know, measure and just go beyond the 10 users and the qualitative research, you're going to miss out and you're in trouble, I think, right? So, right, right. Right. so yeah. So I think that you have a point there. Uh, there's a danger of focusing too much on just validation and not kind of like stop or, or either stop or just have different teams. Maybe you have to have a different team dedicated to the other research. Yeah, what do you think, Dana?
3: One thing that I'll, I'll mention that we've seen at several very large organizations that we work with, I won't name names, um, can't name names, but they've had mandates come down that say every single thing that we're designing has to have user research executed Mm. on it. And so that is a mandate from leadership, which is very interesting and obviously creates some problems for some teams that don't have the bandwidth to do that. And so that's where we've gotten into the conversation and gotten involved of how do we help them.
1: But Dana, question, I think it would be, what is user research in this case because mm-hmm. they have the mandate does that mean that they need to be that, that prototypes need to be validated and checked and have certain tasks or or it means uh, it UX needs to metrics?
3: be put in front of their customers right so okay. in this case but, that i'm talking about one of the cases no, no design goes out unless it's been tested but yes that's the question how do we do test we do it? discovery it, uh, do we do uh, discovery first it, yeah
1: Is it is the design based on discovery research and did we look at
0: existing research before we we went out and did new research? A lot of
1: times, no. People
0: do not.
1: Did we do an audit before we restarted the process? Let's say that they're doing they're going after version three, and did we did we do an audit or some sort of measurement on how they are? Yeah.
3: So I will say that to your points, what I have seen is sometimes it creates a little chaos because there's this <laughs> mandate without a plan, right? And so right, that's right. where we've gotten into some conversations of like, okay, understand the mandate that's coming down, understand who how many, you know, players you have in terms of your team and your resources and you know, design ops and things like that are helping to sort of scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and and your
0: participants, your standardization, you have participants, participants to talk to. right, yeah.
3: exactly. Where are we finding those? Are they very special audiences? Is it, you know, so it's interesting times. I mean, there's some growing pains for sure. I
1: mean, I'd rather have the demand sure. like that right, right. versus no demand, you know, just right. go through, go through. It's just that we need to educate the demand uh, mm-hmm. or the, the people that demand this and tell them, hey, it's not just about validation or testing, you can do a whole lot of things prior to them. Like for instance, again, I'm talking about discovery or basic you know, mm-hmm. benchmarking, auditing what you're about to design, right? Or understanding mm-hmm. the persona a little bit more before you even build a prototype. So mm-hmm. if you can educate and, and kind of discuss that and make that the demand, like be mm-hmm. user-centric versus test your products or, or your prototypes right. before you launch.
2: Right. Yeah, it's it's still important to make sure that you're using the right you know tools in your research toolkit to get the right insights you need and kind of avoiding the you know if 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 all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail. It's like if all you have is a Figma prototype everything looks like usability research. Like you probably need to make sure that you're um, yeah taking a look at the whole spectrum of research you could be doing. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: That's one of the ways I think research has been at our organization really helpful. Where they're very focused on sort of you know, the empowerment enablement model and democratization. And we have lots of people who are not researchers doing research is, you know, a consultative approach of, I want to learn this. What's the best method to use it? Because mm-hmm. that's not going to be the skill set of a lot of UXers or product managers is knowing what tools to use, what methods to use. But you can very much get help, you know, doing that from, mm-hmm. from someone who does know that. So.
3: I've had a lot of conversations in the last few years of people coming to me and saying, so I want to run a card sort. That's That's always a bad Uh lead-in. Let's back up. Sounds fun. What what are you you trying to learn? (laughs) What what questions are you trying to answer? You know, what are you trying to learn? And then they find out. Oh, I I don't want to do a card sort. I want to do something completely (laughs) different. So that's like that's one of those like red flags. You hear it, you go, Uh let's back up a Uh couple steps. Uh
0: Uh
3: We started doing a master class too to address you know what's happening right now with democratization, called something along the lines. Of quality in the age of democratization, which is really mm-hmm. talking about sort of that acquiring or upleveling UX skills in order to, in order to run research, but also being realistic, right? So, phrase we like is bite-sized research, right? So, we're not going to have designers doing UX benchmarks of you know quantitative data and, and you know things like that. But how do you successfully run iterative design research? Do bite-sized research get answers that you can feel confident? about and, and share out and make decisions around with mm-hmm. the testing methods that are sort of appropriate, right, for testing prototypes. So that's been really interesting and really popular, and we've gotten a lot of um, good feedback about that kind of conversation and masterclass kind of approach to addressing this this sort of burgeoning area of testing and, mm-hmm. and population who's running the test, so... It's been kind of fun.
0: Very
2: cool. I feel like we don't ever do this like plug past episodes. But if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I know research. <laughs> I know the internet. We had uh, the head of research from DoorDash a while ago, Zach yeah. Schendel. And he gives a ton cool. of very specific examples of this is the thing we needed to learn. And so we went out and did this methodology. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking away from that conversation being like, oh, this person knows research. Like this is somebody who has That's a really cool. robust toolkit of methodologies and stuff. So if you're, if you're a skeptic. Maybe, uh, that
0: was fun because there are physical products. We talked about like the different... Properties of lotion. <laughs> remember, so many things. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: If you're listening and like you're a designer and you're like, oh, I know research pretty well. Go, go do a little poking around on that master class or look mm-hmm. into some research because it'll your eyes will open up a bit.
1: So, and I'm uh, not surprised because that product is pretty well put together. No, right? well, uh, yeah. I'll yeah. tell uh, it.
3: I have a great DoorDash um, story. I have a family member who works for DoorDash in marketing, but there's sort of a mandate that everyone on his team has to. Be a DoorDash customer once a week mm. and they have mm. to do. A purchase, and so mm-hmm. he was staying at our house, and and was like, okay, where can I get DoorDash around here? Mm-hmm. And I live kind of in a rural area, and I was like, oh, okay, you know. And he was like, no, no, I have to do it for work.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. it once
3: a week, I have to go through uh-huh. that customer experience and purchase something and go pick it up, and and then they have a whole. It's it's I'm not telling any any big trade secrets, but it's very yeah. interesting. I, I mean, yeah. I thought we you were going to
0: say the opposite because I think they have folks be Dashers too, right? Um, he was being a customer, yeah.
1: I wrote an article about the competitor, Grubhub, and the relationship between UX and CX because mm. you just mentioned customer experience. And what I wrote was, hey, I was a user before I was a customer. I literally, you know, it's a Friday night. My my kids want pizza. And I was like, I think it was like raining or something. It was like perfect opportunity to, do, to order it remote. It was the first time that I ever used it a couple of years ago. And so I downloaded Grubhub. And I was able to find a pizza and order a pizza and do everything like literally before five minutes, like in, in a mm-hmm. few minutes, great UX. I thought it was great UX now using it in the future, to be honest with you, I've used both DoorDash and, and Grubhub and I can see them both growing, but I got a favor. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm seeing a better, <laughs> better interface in, in DoorDash.
0: They've really run away with it. They're doing
3: very well. Yeah, there,
1: cool. But so then, so then, you know, I order the pizza and uh, it's supposed to be here in 20 minutes. It gets here I think, like 50 minutes and then somebody drops off the pizza. And again, this is my first time experience. I've become a customer at that point. Right. Cause I've ordered the user experience was great, but then they deliver the pizza is the wrong pizza. Uh-huh. And oh, then yeah. I run after the driver, you know, <laughs> the street, Hey, Hey,
0: and he, I'm sorry, sir, you have
1: to contact Grubhub.
0: Right. Right. Like, oh! Oh my
1: God! And right. so, to me, that was a great example of a great UX mm-hmm. with poor CX. Mm-hmm. I called GrabHub, and they, they they didn't reply or they didn't you know respond. That's this was a while ago, so they gotten so much better. But that's where like you have to work together, especially in these industries where you know you have multiple vendors working together. I mean, GrabHub mm-hmm. owns the experience. You have oh. to be careful with those things.
3: Well, yeah. and, and that's what part of this sort of CX and UX, uh, this example that I gave about DoorDash. It was the app to order it and then the whole experience, picking it up and everything. And then you have to sort of fill out this whole thing and rate the whole experience on both aspects, right? So yep. going, getting it's it. It's particularly acute when
0: you bring that, what are the bricks and clicks, the physical and yeah. the yep. digital world yep. together, together? You feel that yep. especially. Yep. Well, okay, so as we close things up, maybe we could speculate a little bit into the future. It's that time of year. It's, you know, we're heading into a new year. And where do we, where do we see this going? You know, Figma has been this, this massive just story, this big unlock in terms of UXers being able to do more prototyping, share it more in the org, collaborate more, democratizing this access to, you know, really getting more of the organization involved in the design process, right? So what happens next?
1: So since I'm the chief visionary officer, I have to take this one. Yes, please, tell us. Yeah, yeah, good part. (laughs) It's a vision question, yes. Oh, it's a vision question. Well, I just, like for years now, I've been thinking about the differences between those years that uh, we were talking about earlier uh, with Dana's experience 30 years ago. And for me, it's 20 plus years, not 30, but, you know, we were in the lab for many, many years and seeing how things have evolved, you know, because of the cloud, right? And so automation, to me, we're just right now at, I don't know if it's 10, 20% of where we could go, but there's going to be a lot more efficiency, research ops, probably AI coming in mm-hmm. and doing mm-hmm. quite a bit of work as well, you know, in inter- both putting together the wireframes and the design and coming up with some problems, as well as, you know, coming up with the insights. And so the human brain will focus on the, the difficult things that need to be decided, you know, focus on decisions versus doing design or doing research. Mm-hmm. Those sort of things, the software will most likely, you know, handle itself. You know, we're probably years, years away, but that's going to happen. And then the other big one is how design and research is going to be so much more, I guess, relevant to business. Uh, than it is today. It's just too distant. I see it as something that, you know, people don't care that much about, meaning C-level executives or management. Mm -hmm. I can see people, I mean, look at the example of Airbnb and Brian Chesky, of course, Steve Jobs was the first, I guess, the first big one. And I can just see this relationship between great design being so key to business in -hmm. performance. That's not going to take too long. It's already there, but it's probably going to be, you know, three times in the next couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and features are so commoditized, right? So, you know, how do you exactly. differentiate? You have to have design.
2: Yep. I was gonna say to, to just throw a, a quick one at the end here, like, how do you think this acquisition will be viewed in like a handful of years? So, you know, mm-hmm. you think about like Instagram at the time, people thought like, oh, Facebook really overpaid. Hindsight, <laughs> what, a, what a brilliant move. Is this, you know, if you had to put like a one word on it, is this going to look brilliant? Or are they going to be like, oh, that was expensive and a mistake?
1: So a lot of people complained about this acquisition, uh, by the way. Lots of people were like, oh, no, Figma's dead. <laughs> look, the first thing I will tell you is that, I, as I've talked to them recently, is that they're going to stay independent, right? And they're going to have their own operations. And, you know, Dylan Field is going to be the CEO, right? And, you know, hopefully it'll just be a boost for both companies. And then as far as expensive, yeah, I remember when we all went nuts when SAP bought Qualtrics for $8 billion, and now we're talking $20 billion. I just think the value of cloud and the value of software, you know, Andreessen Horowitz back in the day, uh, sorry, Andreessen Horowitz, Mark Andreessen, part of Andreessen Horowitz, mm-hmm. said software is eating the world. And, you know, that, that's what's happening. So... Everyone is going to be doing design. Everyone before they build, and it's going to become the competitive differentiator, as Aaron was saying. And so, if that's the case, then you know, twenty billion may sound like a lot, but I think, in, I don't know, five to ten years, it'll it probably won't.
0: What do you think, Dana? Are we moving back to paper?
3: Are
1: bullish on it as well? Are uh, we going to go not?
3: full circle? I'm definitely not going back to paper. <laughs> I mean, again, I'll mean, I i can, uh, I'll tell you just through my own lens and my own experience at UserZoom, working with lots and lots of customers on a regular basis, and more and more of them are designers. And the tidal wave shift in what tool they're using has been amazing. I mean, I've really yeah. never seen anything quite mm-hmm. like it. And there were... I'm not going to name names, two or three or four that we all know, you know, that mm-hmm, and there was mm-hmm. one in particular that was used a lot more only two or three years ago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's almost like I don't it's like a redundant question to be like, "And is it a Figma prototype?" I almost feel silly asking right. it, which again, I'm only looking through my own experience, but you know, I'm working with some of the the biggest companies out there and as we know, Google and Facebook and Uber and Netflix have all sort of publicly mm-hmm. talked about their usage and how they're using it and how it's helping their teams. I mean, some of the biggest tech companies in North America and the world are using it. So I don't know. I guess I would say um, from the dollars and cents, I'm not sure. I Boy, it's been a game changer. No, yes. evidence,
1: no evidence that it's going to be yeah. Too high a price, at least yeah. for now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll check back in. Yeah.
3: We'll yeah time yeah. capsule. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we might all be laughing at these statements um, later. But like I said, I've I've seen it's been it's been pretty remarkable. Yeah, for
1: sure. Just to add to the thought of Adobe's decision to JH Point, I think we all know that Adobe was trying to compete against Figma with Adobe mm-hmm. XD, and there's a lot of cost an opportunity, cost, and effort put into competing, right? And so there's the value of the company, and then there's also the value, the strategic value for the other company, the the Mm -hmm. acquirer in this case. So one thing is how much the company is worth. Another thing is how much it's worth to you in this case, given where you're going and what you want to do. And so sometimes, you know, corporations make decisions because in this case, they want to move into a space that they weren't successful doing themselves and they were going to compete. That was going to be very expensive, Right. To do that. It's the, so
0: it's the ultimate build versus buy. <laughs> Correct.
1: Yeah. And partner. Build, partner, buy. That's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. It was wonderful to have you and have some very happy holidays. And I'll talk to y'all in five or ten years and see what happens with all of this. <laughs> hopefully before. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, hopefully
1: before. before. Yes. But yes, thank you so much for having us. Great uh, conversation. Yes.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on.